Thank you to the worship team. You guys are incredible. Um, we are going to turn to the word, if I can just pray for us so we can move on to that. Lord, we just thank you for your word, that you have written it to us, and that it is really relevant to us, and that you want to transform our lives through it. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come and speak to us, that you will show us where we need to make adjustments, and that we will feel encouraged as you speak life to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in the month of June, and we are doing the Perfect Pattern series. And if you missed church last week, we, we're going through Romans chapter 12, and we did the first two verses last week. And really, we're talking about two different types of patterns. The Bible likes to use that sort of terminology. There's the pattern of the world, and then there is the patterns of God. And a pattern can be anything that is repeatable, um, something that you can observe. Often the Bible talks about patterns of thinking. So there are certain patterns of thinking, ways of thinking that we recurringly do. And there is a worldly pattern of thinking. And then there's a godly pattern of thinking. And of course we should expect, because He's God, that He would think a little bit differently to us. And of course as Christians we strive to go on a journey of thinking more and more like God. So you've got patterns of the world and patterns of God. Patterns can not just be thinking, it can also be in the way that we live our lives, certain ways that we do things, that we do consistently in a specific way. And so one could draw a contrast between the patterns of the world and the patterns of God. And in Romans chapter 12, why we've named it the perfect pattern is because Paul deals with some of the patterns that are required in our lives if we are to honor God and to worship Him. And in particular, last week, we, we kind of discovered this idea that to worship God is to obey Him. And we're doing the whole uh, hashtag worship station, which is coming up. And it's this idea of that we can worship God by obeying Him in our workplace at university, that He would be present as we obey Him. We can live out that worship. It's a particular way of living. But tonight, uh, we're going to look at the next few verses in Romans, uh, verse 3 to 8. But I want to start by looking at a particular pattern, at honing in on one type of worldly pattern. And this is something that I'd like to call tonight the pattern of comparison. The pattern of comparison. And this is a way of thinking, a way of living, in which we try and get our validation by comparing ourselves to one another or to things. In the pattern of comparison, we look to one another for affirmation, but we have a particular standard, and the standard is almost a little bit arbitrary. It comes from our context, from who we happen to be near. For example, if you've got ugly friends, then the pattern of comparison is a little bit lower as it relates to beauty, isn't it? But then the moment you, you know, go to the modeling show, then suddenly... Wow, the standard has just changed. In this way of thinking, we are looking to one another for affirmation. And the other sort of distinctive of this pattern is that we tend to get affirmation when we beat someone or something. So if I'm not feeling particularly beautiful, the moment I see someone who I'm more beautiful than, I feel a little bit better. I've won. Yes, I've won. I've, oh, okay, I'm losing, I'm losing. I've won. Oh, <laughs> I'm not looking at anyone in particular. Okay. This is the pattern of comparison. 
And so if you live according to this pattern in your thinking, in your living, then your success will always be in relation to others. And of course, in different areas, because this operates in different areas of our life, there can really only be one winner. Because you can only be better than someone in certain areas, and in order to get the affirmation, you need to beat them. It's a bit of a zero-sum game. There can only be one person who's the richest, only one person who's the funniest, the cleverest, the smartest. And so you kind of need to change your context a little bit so you can get little wins every now and then. And so to live a life like this, as you can imagine, would be quite difficult. And the Bible does call it out as one of those worldly patterns. And our God, who's a loving Father, He cares about us. And He doesn't want us to live in this way. One of the reasons is because if we live according to the pattern of comparison, we'll fall into one of two traps. On this side is the trap where we are constantly feeling inadequate and insufficient because we don't measure up, because we're not winning. You might have a kick every now and then, but for the most part, you look around and everyone seems to be better at things than you. I wonder if you relate to this side, this trap, when you're trapped in this pattern of thinking. But then, of course, there's this side, which is an equal trap, and that's when you're actually better than other people at something. Perhaps you are a better um, talker, or you are you know, better at math, or something like that, and you look to someone else and you feel pretty good because you are beating them. And the trap here is that you could fall into a complacency, Because you compare yourself to someone else and you think you're doing kind of okay. But actually God has something more for you. Because he didn't make you in the same way that he made the other person. And so maybe God has gifted you in this area far more than the other person. But you're measuring yourself against them. And you think that this behavior is fine. Or you think that this is enough. And you can be complacent. Particularly in the area of our character, this is where we tend to struggle, isn't it? When we measure up, we go, you know, my friends are all doing this, and uh, I'm not. I'm doing a little bit better than them, so I'm okay. You know, all my friends are, you know, sleeping with their girlfriends or their boyfriends, but, you know, we're just making out every now and then, doing okay. And so your measurement is an arbitrary measurement determined by the context, but you fall into a complacency. So you say, I am okay. And this is the pattern of comparison in our thinking. But at the heart of it, if you're going to live according to the pattern of comparison or competition, at some point you're going to realize that you will never be good enough. You will never be good enough in the pattern of comparison. You are living in an endless cycle where you will either falsely feel like you're okay, or you'll constantly feel inadequate. And I wonder if there's anyone here that identifies with the pattern of comparison. I know this is not something I've observed. This is something that I struggle with myself, comparing to other people. Now, comparison can sometimes lead to competition. I'm quite a competitive individual. There's some good competition and some bad. I always like to say competition should be kept for sports and for board games. Nowhere else. It's not good for relationships. And of course, sport would be very boring if there wasn't some healthy competition. You've also seen some unhealthy competition 
I'm sure. <laughs> and so I get the competitive edge. God made me as a, a competitive person. And I try and live that out in a, in a healthy way. But I, I must say, as, I, as I've been thinking about this and I think about how this pattern of comparison affects our lives, one of the first places that my thought is drawn is actually to social media. And so social media is this interesting phenomenon. Now, this is not a critique on social media. As you will see, I am active on it. Not as active as some of you, but I'm there. And, and social media is interesting because it's often just a, uh, it's like a supercharging reflection of what's going on in our society. And sometimes, you know, you can be really, really concerned and sometimes you can just be really depressed because everyone's doing so amazing and you're not doing so well. Okay. And so social media, this is one of the areas where I've seen in my life the pattern of comparison being highlighted. When I got engaged... I couldn't wait to post the picture of the engagement ring on Facebook. And uh, my wife and I were talking about it. Here it is. It looks better in real life. You know? That ring is almost 100 years old. Over 70 years old. Exaggeration. One of the reasons. Com well, I want to compare. I want to be better. Yeah. <laughs> and so, as you can imagine, an engagement. You know, who's got an engaged year? You know, Anyone? No one, okay, no, okay, you got engaged, okay, great. So some people got engaged, it's like, it's one of the most exciting moments, and it's, a, it's an intimate moment in the sense that it's, it's the most special, one of the most special moments you're going to have with your partner, you get, you got an, you get an engaged, and of course you want to tell your family, and you want to tell your friends. But I remember a time when we used to take pictures for ourselves, or for our families, or we take pictures for memories. No more. Now we take pictures to show off. Come on, isn't that at the heart of social media? So we're going to post our engagement picture. What should have taken 10 minutes takes two hours because the first one is not good enough. And then you've got to get the angle right and you've got to get the sun glare right and the filter's got to be right, okay? And you've got to make the magical moment to show off the engagement. But it's not done because remember, you're never going to be good enough in the pattern of comparison. Once you get the photo just right, it's on and it's up. One minute, check, two likes. <laughs> One minute, 10 seconds, two likes. Okay, no, something's wrong. Is this, is, can everyone see it? Okay, three likes. Okay, now we're moving, okay? 10 likes, let's see what's going on. Four minutes, let's see. 20 likes, five minutes. Now we're going. People are happy. And if I thought I was happy when I got engaged, man, oh man, was I happy when we got to 100 likes. I didn't realize that I needed 100 likes to validate my engagement. And then it started going higher and higher. And man, oh man, I felt good. It felt good. I felt good. It was like a couple thing. Then we check it every now and then and see, ooh, so many, so many. And we were, you know, oh, people are so happy for us. We're so happy. Until another couple decided to get engaged in the same month. Okay, I don't know what they were thinking. You've got to give a little bit of a space, you know, for those likes to grow. And you know what happens is if they get engaged too quickly, it's going to distract these people that haven't liked my post yet, you know. And lo and behold, I was so happy. I started, and you know what? I saw that post quickly. One minute, one like. Two minutes, still one like, and I'm, I'm feeling good. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. You're feeling good. You're feeling good. And so I've, I felt I can go to sleep tonight and I'm fine. 
Wake up the next morning, 200 likes. They must have been paid likes, you know. That's what I was thinking, you know. <laughs> and for now, I mean, I'm engaged for a month, and now I'm, for some reason, not feeling so happy about the engagement anymore. I feel very happy. But, you know, it, it kicks, you know. It kicks. No, 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 we talked about it. We talked about it. But it's difficult. So, like, what's wrong? Is our picture not good enough? Why are they liking them? Why are they liking them more than others? And so this is the pattern of comparison in action. And, you know, if you think about it, it's actually quite ridiculous. At the end of the day, you know, what are we going to achieve by getting more likes on Facebook? Literally, there's someone who doesn't even know us that's busy clicking, and their click is giving us a kick, you know, every single time. And somehow, in this pattern of thinking, I have arrived, I've made it, as long as I'm on top, as long as I'm winning. And when I start losing, well, I need to do some things to win the affection. Because at the end of the day, I can't go to sleep without knowing that my life is worth something. In this pattern, the only way that you can be worth anything is if you're winning. Another one from my life, then we'll get to your life. Um, this is my cell phone. This is a Samsung S5. This is not an advertisement at all. Okay? Now, I'm going to start talking about Samsung. Before I start, I really don't want to get into the Samsung versus Apple debate. You know, I always think those are overrated. And anyway, the scriptures are clear in Genesis. <laughs> that when, Adam, when Eve gave an apple to, to Adam, that's where all our problems started. And so... <laughs> and so... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot what I was talking about. Um, this is my Samsung S5. I bought it just over two years ago. And uh, I'm, I'm a technology planner. I try not to get caught into this pattern of comparison, but man, I love, it's a weak spot for me. I love technology. But I decided about two years ago to make a good financial decision, and that was to take out a contract try and take out a contract every four years instead of every two years. So I do a lot of research to see what is the best phone. I try and uh, spend a little bit more money so that I don't have to get a new phone at the end of that time. This is my plan, okay? And I thought it was a pretty good plan. In fact, when I got the Samsung S5, it was amazing. It worked really well. It, it was, uh, it's lasted. You know, my contract has ended. Now I'm not on a contract anymore, so I've paid this phone off, and it's absolutely great. And, you know... As long as I stick to the phone, I'm quite happy. And I want to tell you, after two years, that this phone is still fine. It still uh, WhatsApps very quickly. It can access the internet. There's, there's really actually no problem, okay? Until this was about, oh, when was it? Maybe two months ago. I'm driving to there, there by the airport, and I see a, a sign. Oh, my word, and it says, unbox your phone. <laughs> <laughs> when I was actually preparing, I, just, I went to go see the advert as well. Man, the advert is cool. Unbox your phone, the Galaxy S8. And when I saw it, it's, for some reason, I looked down at my Galaxy S5, and I, I didn't realize, but it's actually broken at the bottom there. And, and it keeps auto-correcting wrong and all these sort of things. And, and you know, what was completely adequate, and I was completely satisfied with my phone until I went past the billboard 
And I realized that this is just not enough. This is just not enough. And so this is the pattern of comparison operating in my life. It's, it's very subtle, but it, it comes out sometimes as we, as we become dissatisfied when we compare, or perhaps when someone does better than us, and we start wondering, why do I feel so um, devalued? Why don't I, what's going on? And this is when we've fallen into this pattern of comparison. Maybe you've experienced it in your own life. I actually trawled um, social media and I pulled out some of your guys' posts. We're going to throw it up there. I just want to show some examples. No, I'm just playing. Okay. But that would be amazing. I'd come back to a church that did that. Yeah. Well, so maybe next week. Yeah. <laughs> I've given in to the pressure to join Instagram. I haven't actually posted anything yet from social anxiety because uh, it's really, you know, I don't have the hours required to put some of the photos that I've seen on Instagram. It seems like everyone is having an amazing, amazing life. And it's true, isn't it? There's this pressure as we post to make things just a little bit better. It's a competition. And it's not between ourselves. It's not just for us. You know what's the point if no one likes your picture. So social media, you might know, um, I've, 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 I've witnessed parents uh, taking pictures of their kids. The kids are being cute. And they actually, like, rearrange the kids you know, in that moment, and then, then take the picture, you know, and there's that temptation, you know, kind of to do it with food, I mean, haven't you ever, you know, maybe you're eating a nice, uh, maybe, you know, I don't, I'm not really a fan, but say, like, you're having pasta, you know, in the evening, and you're sitting down, maybe you're sitting in front of the TV, and your pasta's okay until the KFC ad comes on, and then suddenly you look down, and you're, oh, you know, it's just, not, it's just not enough. These are ways that this comes out in our lives. I wonder if you identify. I wonder if you've perhaps had a sibling that you maybe was a bit of an overachiever. I've, I've got a feeling maybe there's some people that have got some brothers and sisters that outshine them. And uh, that, can, that can be difficult. How do you wrestle, how do you wrestle with that? Or perhaps uh, maybe you've uh, always felt a little bit like no one sees you. Or all the attention goes to a particular type of person or personality, and you always get overshadowed. We can identify with this culture. And so it would be hopeless if we were stuck living in this pattern of comparison, because remember, there is no hope here. You will always be inadequate. And we're not the first culture to struggle with this. I think social media has highlighted how much we actually wrestle with this and struggle with this. One last story in that I was laughing because I was preparing, but I mean, even in church here, we're busy taking pictures, and it's great. We should. I'm just saying, like, I was taking a pose at the communion table. Um, I'm just telling you just how, you know, far gone I am. You know, it's like, <laughs> my communion pose. Okay. <laughs> Make sure you put a filter on it, okay? Um, you know, it's, it's part of our culture. We're, we're in it. But although they didn't have social media, the early Christians, they um, also struggled with this pattern of comparison. The way it manifested that we have the record of was particularly actually in church services like this. There were certain giftings that got a lot more um, press. For instance, now I'm preaching, so you see me, so the light is on me, but it's not necessarily more valuable than someone who's busy doing sound or someone who's busy putting out chairs, they all have to come together to make a service work. But as you can imagine, this was a problem already in the early church where the peop because of the pattern of comparison, a problem had arisen. And the, shall we call them glamour Christians, 
the ones with the giftings and the potentials, that, or they'd been given gifts by God that put them in the public eye, they began to believe their own press. Because of this culture of comparison, it felt like they were winning. Okay, And so they began to think that they were better than the other Christians. And on the same way, remember these, these other guys, the Christians in the church, that believed the exact same thing. They thought those Christians were better because their gifts were public. Their gifts, everyone could see, their gifts looked amazing. And so there was this clash going on with the culture of comparison. And it had caused a bit of division in the church. And in Romans 12, in verse 3 to 8, Paul actually addresses this very thing. So let's look at it because it's really helpful to our situation in our context. Paul says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Paul is making a call for Christians to think of themselves accurately with regards to the grace. Another word for grace is gift, for the giftings that God has given to them. Paul recognizes that they weren't thinking correctly. Their pattern of thinking had made them think incorrectly about themselves. They were getting validation because they thought the gifts God had given them were better than others. And Paul says, you need to think correctly about yourself. Make a sober judgment. And he explains in verse 4, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. This is an area of Christian theology which is very important. Remember, the culture of comparison was prevalent, this pattern of thinking, even amongst the Romans, Christians, and non-Christians alike. And Paul says, no, no, no. Your gifts are given to you by God for a purpose. You had nothing to do with the gifts that were given to you. God decided which gifts he would give to you, which capacities, which talents, how you would look, how clever you are. And then he gives some examples of some of these gifts. In verse 7, uh, sorry, in verse 6, he says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And so Paul is giving some examples of different giftings. At the heart of what he's saying, he's saying, use what God has given to you to serve one another. Your gift was not given to you for just yourself. You are a member of one body. You are not meant to be in isolation, just serving yourself with the gift God has given you. God has given you a gift, and he's intentionally kept himself from giving that gift to someone else. This was God's design. God specifically did not give particular gifts to particular people with the thinking that in the body of Christ, they would get served by the people who had that gift. It was this perfect plan. It was a bit of a different pattern. It's what we call the pattern of service. You see, the pattern of comparison 
we compare ourselves and we compete with one another. But in the pattern of service, we take that exact same strength, which is used for competition, and we use it for service. Instead of trying to beat my brother or sister at the game of life, I use that exact same strength and I, and I serve them. It's a different way of thinking. It's the pattern of service. But if you take a step back, what Paul is addressing is a fundamental belief system. And what you can imagine is that this would have been very difficult for the early Christians struggling with a sense of inadequacy or a sense of pride. Because in their heads, their gifting was what, was what defined them. They were stuck in this endless pattern, trying to prove themselves. They were trying to prove themselves in the pattern of service. And they didn't understand the way that God had made them. They looked to others in order to find out what they were called to do. And God, through Paul, comes to them and he says, no, 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 no more. No more comparing yourself to others. You think your calling is to be better than someone. You think I have designed you to beat someone. You think that I'm impressed when you win. That is not what I designed you for. Remember, Paul says he gave you, God gave you a design. He gave you a very particular set of gifting. In fact, he gave no one else what he gave you. You must hear this now. This is what Paul is saying. He, he's challenging the believers. He says, you, you, think, you think you're all the same, but you're not. He says, you're a one-of-a-kind design. You're a one-of-a-kind design. You're a one-of-a-kind design. This is what Paul says. He speaks to the heart of the individual believer. And he says, you're one-of-a-kind. We ask a question in this church quite often. It says, what, is, what would the world have lost if you had never been born? And you know, sometimes in the pattern of comparison, I, I've sometimes thought, well, probably nothing. If I'm you know, feeling pretty self-pitying on the day. And uh, the scripture says that's not true, that in fact, the world would lose something. This community would lose something significant because you are a one-of-a-kind design. God has not made copies. He, has not, he hasn't got a production row and he's just churning them out. He's, he's, he's given you particular gifts and he's designed you in such a way and the intention as you come into this pattern of service, is to, is to serve the body. I want to I go as far as to say that actually if you weren't a part of this community, we would lose something. There's certain things we couldn't do. There's certain things that God could not accomplish in this community if you weren't here. You think you being here now is just, I just chose to come to this church now. I came here for an evening. It's not that at all. If you go, you're going to rob this community. You're going to rob this community from the gift because you're a one-of-a-kind design. We can't just replace you. God can't just replace you. Your purpose is so, it's designed from before the earth was created. If you don't understand that God has designed you for a particular purpose, if you get caught up, if you think that you are part of someone else's design, if you get, if you get into this pattern of comparison, you say, you know, you know, Gideon does it like this. This is his calling. I want his calling. And you don't realize that you're a one-of-a-kind design. God is not going to make another you. And so this is vitally important. This is what Paul is getting at. We can rob our community 
of the gifts that God has put in us because he set up this pattern of service and he didn't really make a plan B. He just put it like this and, and if you don't show up, it's not going to happen. Okay? We've got a choice to live according to this pattern where we use our gifts and we try and win an imaginary game you know, with ourselves. Or we can take those gifts that God designed us to have and we can use them to serve His purposes. I want to apply this with a, another scripture in Matthew 25, verse 23. Jesus shares the famous uh, parable of the talents. If you read it in the NIV, it's a good translation because he, he turns it into the bag of gold. And uh, this is how the parable goes. It's just a paraphrase, but there was a master who um, got, he hired three servants. And to the first servant, he gave five bags of gold. To the second servant, he gave two bags of gold. And to the third servant, he gave one bag of gold. The master decided how much gold they get. And it wasn't equal. It wasn't the same. And so they all go out and do different things. Uh, at the end of the day or end of the time that they worked for him, the, the servant with the five bags of gold comes back to the master and says, Master, I've taken your... Uh, the, the gold that you've given me, and I've doubled it. So here's an extra five bags of gold. And the master says, well done, servant. You've done well with your five bags of gold. This is a paraphrase. And the one with the two bags of gold then comes, and he has also managed to turn his two bags of gold into another two bags of gold. And the master says, well done. You've done well with the two bags of gold that I've given you. And then the last servant comes back. It was the one with the one bag of gold. And uh, it's, he actually gives a bit of a, a description of he was afraid of the master, etc., etc. But if you read between the lines, he was afraid, really. That's what he was saying. There was a sense of inadequacy. Maybe it was because he only had one bag of gold. I don't know. I'm reading into it a little bit there. But for whatever reason, he, he could not find the, the will or he could not overcome the fear to use that one bag of gold and do anything. So what he did was he dug a hole and he, and he put it under the ground. And when he comes back, he, he, he almost makes an excuse with the master. And he says, you know, I was afraid I was going to lose it. You know, it wasn't really, he didn't say it, but you know, you can kind of read between the lines. You know, it was only one bag of gold. <laughs> so I dug a hole and I hid it under the ground. And the master is very upset he says, at the very least, you could have gone and put the bag of gold in the bank and it would have given interest. You know, there's some Bible commenters that say that, that the reason the master was so upset is because to take a bag of gold to the bank is actually really easy. You just take it there, you invest it, you do nothing. The servant spent more effort digging a hole to hide the bag than it would have take, taken to actually take it to the bank. Okay. And, and, this, and, 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 and what happens is they take that bag of gold, they give it to the other guy, and he says, you worthless servant. Those are quite harsh words. I never want to hear them. But we sometimes misinterpret. Some people, if you're in the culture of comparison, you might think he's worthless because he's got one bag of gold. Or he was silly or I don't know. But the point of the parable, the servant wasn't worthless because he had one bag of gold in comparison to the five bags of gold. The servant was worthless because he did nothing with the one bag of gold. You see, God 
has decided the amount of gold we're going to have. And I'm not talking about money now. I'm talking about your gifting, your purpose, your calling. In the culture of comparison, we can get stuck looking at others who maybe have 10 bags of gold or 100 bags of gold. Or we look down on those that have one bag of gold. Or we can come to a place of so much fear that we spend our life's effort just trying to hold on to that bag of gold. We don't even invest it. We don't even do the basics. We dig a hole. Okay. And we hide it. And this is the bondage that the pattern of comparison can bring upon us. And I believe tonight that God wants to free us. He wants to, he wants to free us tonight to be able to use the bag of gold that we have. I think there's some people here that you need to recognize the bag of gold that you have. This, this culture of comparison can get you so caught up and so stuck that you spend your whole life focused on a gifting that you will never have. I, 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 was, I had the privilege of um, flying on a plane the other day and I, I was in the line and I was standing next to a famous rugby player. Oh, it was Eben Itzabeth. And... Uh, <laughs> yeah... I didn't take a selfie. I actually looked quite judgmentally at the person who came to take a selfie because I was feeling particularly holy. I hadn't I didn't read the scripture yet. Yeah. And uh, man, I'm a tall guy, you know, and I thought I was a pretty good rugby player. But I, you know, if I think back to standing next to Yerban Etzebeth, he's quite a friendly looking guy, but he is at least this much taller than me. I don't want to exaggerate, but I, it felt like that. But I think he really is. And, you know, this moment, if I think about Eben Etzebeth, I realize at that moment that I am not called to play Springbok rugby. <laughs> I could live my entire life wishing I could. You know, I could practice every single day on the PlayStation, of course. I could, um, <laughs> I don't know, I could take all those protein shakes that I want. I'm just not going to grow taller. I'm capped, you know, and I'm not even that short. I just... I'm just not made. If God had wanted me to play for the Springboks, he would have made me as tall as Eben Etzebeth, but he didn't. And now I've got to somehow deal with this. But if I'm stuck in the culture of comparison, how do I deal with it? Because there's only one winner. It's the tallest guy in the room. So I will spend the rest of my life as an inadequate loser. Are there any losers here tonight? <laughs> Come on, we're all losers in something. <laughs> do you want to feel like a loser for the rest of your life? The culture... The, the pattern of comparison, we will always be a, a loser, and, and God wants to free us. Just one or two words, and I want to pray. I just, I feel like the Lord wants to free particular individuals tonight that are, that are so stuck that you've been pursuing, and this is something you've been pursuing for, for many years, a calling that you are not made to do. You, you want to be a Springbok rugby player, but you're too short, and you need to hear sense tonight because God wants to free you to celebrate your calling. You think that somehow if you achieve that calling or you go into that calling, somehow God is going to be impressed or people are going to be impressed. They're not going to be impressed. God is not going to be impressed. He made you. He created you. There's this drive. It comes from a wrong pattern of thinking. God wants to set you free tonight. The picture I have is that you are, you are trying to play tennis with a cricket bat. You're trying to play tennis with a cricket bat. And, and there is, God is not going to give you a tennis racket. He gave you a cricket bat. So you need to stop trying to play that game. You're not going to win. The only way that you win is by serving God's 
design for your life. And remember, you're a one-of-a-kind design. You can't actually win at the game of life in the pattern of comparison. God wants to free you tonight. And another, I just, I just have, I want to say one more thing there. I also feel like, like someone here needs to lay down ungodly expectations on their lives. I don't know where it came from. It could be, you know, your parents. Maybe, you know, you, you lived your whole life trying to figure out how to, you know, impress your dad. And then you realize as long as you make more money with him, you'll be impressed. And that's never going to happen or something like that. This is this, this thing that's been put on you, and it's an expectation. It's making you feel inadequate, and God wants to free you tonight. He wants to free you to live, to, to live the calling that He has for you. And so we're going to walk out tonight with just a sense of relief and release as you move from this pattern of comparison to a pattern of service. And so if you don't mind, let's just close our eyes. And I'm just going to pray, if you feel, we're not going to ask you to stand, but if you feel in your heart like you've been trapped in the pattern of comparison and you want to be free tonight, I'm praying for freedom. The picture I have is of of chains breaking and a heaviness going because you've got an ungodly expectation. You've been trying to do something with the wrong tools. You can just say, that's me. Lord, I want to be free. Just praying, Lord, I want to be free. I want to live the pattern of service. I don't want to play these games anymore. I don't want to be a loser anymore. Lord, I pray for everyone praying now for freedom now in Jesus' name. Lord, will you free us from the pattern of comparison? Will you free us to serve, Lord? To serve your purposes. To serve your design. I have a sense there's people here that you're feeling like a tension. And if you make this decision, you say, no more, I'm, I'm leaving this path that the Lord, you're going to release that tension. It's going to manifest in your body with pain, headaches. I feel there's going to be people that are going to be free in that area. If you make that decision, you are carrying an ungodly expectation. The Lord wants to free you. Amen. Okay, then just one last thought in the prayer. What we want to say as a community, as we go on this journey now, we, we're reading through Romans 12, come on board. Read, read it. It's, I mean, when I studied Romans for the first time, it changed my life to go in depth, to understand what's being said. This is really, really applicable to our lives. But this week, let's take a step of faith into this pattern of service. There's a challenge for this week. If you want to solidify this, you want to move, and, and, and you know, I want to take this myself because it draws you back. This pattern of comparison draws you. But as I read the scripture, I see God wants us to live this pattern of service. So the challenge this week is to go this week and to find an opportunity to serve, to take the gift, the God-given, designed gift that God has given you, and to use it selflessly. It's one of the only ways to break it. So What I mean by that is to use it in such a way in which you will not gain. Use it in such a way to serve your community. It might be serving at this church, in this community. But, you know, we have bigger communities where we spend much more time. That's our works, university. Being free from the pattern of comparison frees us to serve. Because we don't need to worry how we look. We don't need to... Worry about, you know, getting ahead because we're obviously playing to an audience of one. We're not playing the game anymore where we're trying to win. We're not busy fighting each other. So it's a challenge. Look for one opportunity, if you want to solidify this, to step into the pattern of service. Step into the pattern of service this week to break 
the pattern of comparison. And let's just dream, then we'll pray. Imagine, imagine if we as a community lived according to this pattern of service. Man, we would be so different. The world is living in such uh, competition. You know, I, there's, sometimes you, you, know, you could pro- perhaps work into a church and you're wondering, you know, do people have your back? Are you fighting for attention? Are we fighting each other? Imagine that we weren't a community of competition, but we were a community of calling where we were not looking at one another competing, but we were looking at one another serving. Wouldn't you like to be part of a church like that? Wouldn't you like to be part of a community that lived out this pattern? If you take that step, you can be part of that difference. So let's be a community that lives the pattern of service. Amen. I'm going to pray for us. Lord, I pray that as we take this word from you and we apply it to our lives, I pray that we will live in freedom from comparison, freedom to serve. For those, I just want to pray for those that feel uncertain about their futures, about their lives. I pray that you will reveal that to them, that you will show them just another step towards understanding the design that you have for them. They would know that they are one of a kind, Lord. For those that have questions about their future, so many here I know will have questions. Lord, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? I pray that you will speak into that, that as they come free from comparison, their design will come to the surface. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Great. One last shout out for the Young Adult Day. We would love to see you there on Friday. God needs you. He really does. He needs you to be a part of what He is doing. If you felt like tonight was good, then come on Friday. It's going to be all the much better. Okay, yeah.